Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in chronological order of publication, and this week, I'm continuing my examination of Joe Hill's and Gabriel Rodriguez's comic book classic, Lock and Key. This week, I'll be reviewing Volume 5, Clockworks. But before that, I want to take a few moments to uh, talk about something uh, that is pertinent, not necessarily to uh, Stephen King, but to the Stephen King cast um, and to longtime listeners. Um, I posted it on social media. I posted it on uh, Instagram uh, last week. But as I record this, uh, I just want to let everyone know, um, in the background you might hear one of my furry co-hosts, um, you know, just doing her thing and licking her paws. Um, but unfortunately... Um, you know, one week ago to this day, uh, we lost um, one of our furry co-hosts, Sunny. I posted a picture on on uh, on Instagram last week. I got a lot of I got a lot of love from that. That that helped a lot. So I just wanted to take a few moments to talk about Sunny. So if you are new to the podcast, then I, skip ahead uh, a few minutes. But I mean, longtime listeners will have heard the sounds of of Sonny in the background for uh, the last five years. And I thought that it was just, I just wanted to give a moment just to, to tell the story of, of Sonny um, and my, my thoughts on that. So um, I, I can't tell you exactly how old Sonny was because he was a rescue dog. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about um, Sonny because he was specifically a, a rescue dog from an organization called uh, SNORT, which stands for Short Nose Only Rescue Team. And um, from the website, uh, Snort is an all-volunteer nonprofit rescue based in the Northeast United States whose purpose is to rescue short-nosed dogs like French Bulldogs, Boston Terriers, English Bulldogs, and Pugs from shelters and owners who can no longer keep them with the goal of placing them into loving homes. We believe that all dogs should be given a chance and fair evaluation. Man's best friend sometimes does not communicate in ways with which we would like, and we pride ourselves for taking the time to understand their needs. Through education, training, and matching dogs to the right homes, we hope to reduce the number of short-nosed dogs that are euthanized unnecessarily. So, um, there was some question around how old Sonny was because of the circumstances that led to him coming to our house. So, we got him around 2011, I would say. And by that point, we had had our other pug, maybe since 2008, so maybe was uh, the, the queen of the house. And my wife, you know, thought that, you know, it might be good for her to get a companion. So, um, make a long story short, my wife's aunt um, is a foster, uh, um, is a foster for, for Snort, and she was fostering Sonny and thought it would be the, the, the right mix. And uh, that's how he wound up coming into our lives. And from that moment on, uh, he was amazing. He was just a happy little guy, despite the circumstances that had brought us, brought him to us, because he was one of 11 dogs living in, and I was trying to find the news article so I could share it with everyone, but I couldn't find it. But his circumstances were, were terrible. The, the, the breeders that had had him... I mean, he had never walked on grass before. 
he was just living on concrete and cooped up in a cage. The, uh, the, the, the owner killed her husband, and it was because of that, the murder, that all of the, the dogs in captivity had to go into rescue, and that's how we wound up getting Sonny. But despite the, the tragedy of his past, you would never know that there was trauma because he was really the happiest little guy that you could ever met. Um, you know, and I just, you know, with, a, with one week past, uh, you know, sometimes I'll look at, the, you know, the, this past week, I will look at the, you know, I'll be lying on the couch, I'll look over, I'll see a pillow, there'll be a second that I'll think that it's, it's him. Um, you know, he was a, a mix between a, a pug and a French bulldog, so he wasn't entirely a pug, you know, he had that, that kind of bulldog stance. And he... You know, people talk about dogs smiling, you see it in the eyes, but I've never seen a dog actually smile and have his lips kind of curl up in a smile. And he was always smiling. He had big dark eyes um, that looked at you longingly. He was pure white, looking like a ghost, um, you know, with, with Game of Thrones wrapping up. Recently, I'd begun to think of him as, as my direwolf because he... I did not deserve the amount of love that he he had for me because he adored me and went wherever I went and followed me around everywhere. And, you know, we'd be lying on the couch and I would just, it was not uncommon for me to just like look over and have him just staring at me. Um, you know, he liked to protect me from vacuums and leaf blowers he was prone to farting. He was really good at that. He'd be, we'd all be lying on the couch, um, and we would have gas noises of varying degrees escape his butt. Uh, he liked to pee on on maybe our other dog, and the fact that it went on for so long kind of speaks more about maybe and her her interests than it does on Sunny and his predilection for peeing on her. I'd be perfectly honest, I don't think that he was purposely peeing on her. Um, she somehow managed to find her way under his stream. Um, you know, when he would lie there, he would always uh, just suck on his, his little stuffed animals, which um, we believe is a result of the fact that he was taken away from his mother at such an early age. Um, but it was really the cutest thing to look at. He was wheezy. He was a really wheezy kind of guy. You know, he would he would sound very much like a old man a lot of the time. Uh, and he, he had these big werewolf looking paws that would grip his his toys that he would suck on. Um, and when we were lying there, he he just didn't know how to walk on on you uh, without finding these exact spots that would hurt the most. I mean, he was just all. Just pointy elbows and and just points. Uh, he was a very clumsy, clumsy little guy. So in I've 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 mentioned this on previous podcasts, but on on Valentine's Day, uh, we were watching Eighth Grade. Strongly recommend that movie. And all of a sudden, he just stood up or sat up. And then started to, to lean back uh, and, and had uh, a couple seizures. And it was terrifying. We brought him to the, the vet. And they, make a long story short, they told us that we should euthanize him. And at that point, I was not ready because I, I always thought that maybe we'd be the first one to go and that we would have more time with Sonny. And it just, 
it, it just came out of the blue. And he was not always like a pinnacle of health. I mean, the previous year, uh, you know, we, we had to take him uh, to the vet in the middle of the night, to the emergency vet again, because he aspirated and was just vomiting um, all night long, very painfully. Uh, so it, it wasn't uncommon. It wasn't out of the blue to take him to the vet, but I certainly did not expect a seizure. I didn't expect the prog- you know, the diagnosis of euthanasia. Um, and so, you know, thankfully, you know, I, cooler heads prevailed that night and we were able to take him home and we took him to our vet and we were able to put him on, um, a, a whole bunch of different kinds of meds, including insulin, because it turns out he was diabetic and, you know, he hadn't had any seizures until the, the day he passed away. And uh, we got almost six more months with him, six months in which we were able to appreciate him and let him know that we appreciated him, to let him know that he was loved. Six months in which my daughter got a little bit older and learned more how to be a dog owner. And he was very patient with her because she loved him. She loved walking him and we would walk down the street and she would hold the leash and she would be the one to walk him. And, you know, even though he wanted me to walk him, you know, she learned how to be a dog owner and she learned the responsibilities and how to be gentle and how to wait um, and be kind. And she liked to feed him. And so these are these are important things that we were able to get in the last six months. Um, and then last Friday, one week ago, I woke up in the morning and I heard him in his crate. Uh, he was whimpering. And there was a, a banging sound that was going along with it because he was quiet. He was always a quiet dog. He never, he never whined in his crate. He never uh, made noise when he didn't have to. So I knew what was happening. I knew he was seizing. So I went downstairs and um, he proceeded to have a series of seizures for about an hour. And all I could do, this was before the vet was opened, um, and all I could do was hold him and then maybe knew maybe knew as as dogs know that that the end was coming because normally we were encroaching upon her breakfast time and when it's time for her to eat she lets us know um but she just was very quiet and she was upset but you know not really making noise but you know you could tell but she definitely wasn't demanding food or or demanding anything of herself and all I could do was just hold Sonny um, when he was seizing and pet him and let him know that I loved him. And I took him outside. It was a beautiful day. And we. I found a spot um, in the sun and we just sat there and I pet him and I pet him. Um, and like I said, he, he, I think I said he, he must have been brain dead uh, at that point, um, just because of the seizures that an hour's worth of seizures. Um, so all I could do was just let him know that I loved him. And I just waited until the, the vet opened and I took him into our vet and I let him, I let them know that he needed to be put down and they were great. They, they took him in right away and they put him on the table and I looked at him in his eyes, um, as they injected him and he was gone before, uh, the doctor finished the injection. And so I just took some measure knowing that he, uh, he died uh, being able to look at me. You know, he was a really good boy. So the reason that I'm sharing all of this, um, it, you know, because it's been one week and because it's still fresh and because um, I'm saying this because he's, he's 
you know, been a small part of the lives of, of longtime listeners that are listening to this. But, uh, you know, um, I'm mostly doing this for myself because even though it's only been a week, the, the pain and the immediacy is fading. And I've been thinking about a Stephen King quote from Wizard in Glass, um, which is, and I found it today. It says, uh, in, in regarding Roland, his heart had been broken, and now, all these years later, it seemed to him that the most horrible fact of human existence was that broken hearts mended. You know, because I know that in time, the little things that built up to a whole dog will fade. Time will devour uh, the memory of Sonny. I'll remember his face. I have a million pictures and videos, and that's going to help. But in time, I'm going to forget the exact weight of him on my lap, his particular smell, the sound of how he licked his paws, or his warbly cracked voice of a howl. I'll forget his joyful wheeze, the way his paw thumped on the ground when he pooped, that bouncing gait of his as he walked, and the whirlwind dervish of squeals and whines when he heard the jingle of his leash, knowing that he was going to go for a walk. You know, I'll always remember the concept of Sonny, but I won't necessarily remember the particulars and the things that made me love him. So I wanted to get these thoughts out before I, I fully healed, um, and the and the pain was was uh, was completely healed over. Um, so thank you for this digression, everybody. But um, I, I did I needed to do it for me, and I needed to do it for for all the the pet lovers out there that uh, that have enjoyed having Sonny in the background all these years. I buried him in our backyard um, when we came back from the vet. Um, myself and and maybe was was with me. Um, she was there when I when I put him into the ground. My wife had taken our daughter. Um, we explained, that's another thing, we, this allowed us, allowed us, it was a terrible, terrible thing for us, but, um, you know, this was our introduction to death um, in the family for, for her. Um, I, was, I had to explain death to a, a three-year-old, and I kept on thinking about Pet Cemetery, about Ellie saying, why can't God have his own dog? Um, you know, I didn't explain God or anything, I just explained what happens physically to a, to a body when, when it dies, and the heart stops working, the brain stops working, and Sonny just would not be able to get up anymore, and he died, and dying is sad, and it means that someone goes away and they never come back, and it's okay to be sad, and I told her that he loved her and she was a good dog owner, and she made him very happy, and so I, I got through all of that, um, and she said, okay, <laughs> you know, the life of a th- three-year-old, you never know what you're going to get. Then we looked at pictures of him on our Apple TV smiled and laughed so it was good and every now and then she'll bring him up and I have to remind her um and she's actually corrected herself a couple times when she's talked about the doggies um and she'll say no and she'll say no I mean maybe instead of the doggies so she she knows that not not to use the you know the the, the plural um and she's trying to use the singular more um so you know, that it's just that there's a loss of innocence there also, which which kind of sucks. Um, but it is what it is. That's part of life. Um, and all in all, you know, Sonny helped teach her how to be a dog owner. And Sonny helped teach her about death, which is something that she's going to have to learn about anyway. And 
Um, I guess this is the best way for her to be able to, to learn about that. And he has a little spot in our backyard, um, you know, near the woods that he likes. Uh, you know, it's a mix of sun and shade. And, you know, I have a, a big projector screen back there and he's, he's by that screen. So if we ever watch anything outside, um, he's kind of still with us in spirit when we're watching television, right? Um, which I think is, is meaningful for us because we're big potato, uh, couch potatoes in this family. So um, thank you guys for, for listening for the last uh, 15 minutes as I uh, eulogized my dog. I know it's a, a different way to open up this podcast, but anyone that's ever lost an animal, and I've lost a, a handful in my life, um, you know that it's, it's, there's, there's no particular pain that's quite like it. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. Um, you know, and having gone through this a number of times, I thought that, you know, I, I would, this, it would have been lessened at this point, especially because I knew that we were on borrowed time as it was. And I, uh, I, I mourned in February when I found out about it. I thought that I was ready, but I wasn't. It hit me pretty hard. And, um, you know, I'm going to miss him very much. He was a good boy. So thank you, everyone. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to get into the podcast. Oh, but actually, th- that was another reason why I wanted to do this. I really wanted to, to plug Snort. So if you are a dog lover, um, there, there are many ways that you can give back to... I've never asked for money on this podcast. I've never asked for, for any sort of donation or PayPal or Kickstarter or Patreon or anything. Um, but if you do have a few um, couple bucks, please go on to snortrescue.org. Donate because there are a lot of dogs uh, out there that could use love and could use homes, and I would love to be able to give back to the organization that brought him into our lives in the first place. Snortrescue.org. Thank you, guys. Okay, um, what I would like to do before I got into the actual uh, review of Clockworks is read some iTunes reviews because I can't do this without you. So... I have uh, this from BD1598 um, that uh, gave me three stars that says, Great content, but some difficulties. First, I want to say that this content is amazing. The host's knowledge of information and enthusiasm for the material makes me want to keep listening to the casts. But I am struggling uh, with a deal of technical or production problems that if addressed could really improve the experience and retain more listeners. Some of these things might be changed in later episodes, and if so, I will adjust my review. Number one, casts take a very long time to download if they do at all. This could be a result of a, the hosting company. Two, long intro or other material before getting to advertise topic. Maybe insert timestamps into the episode description. Three, spaces, filler words, background noise, even a little post-production editing could go a long way. Four, loud music over the long plot reads. Maybe soften the volume or intersperse plot with reactions. I don't mean to be negative at all, but these are great elements There are because there are great elements and huge potential here. I'm just hoping a little feedback might help raise awareness. Keep up the great work. So BD1598, thank you for taking the time to leave the review and the feedback. Feedback is necessary. Let me just uh, address this. Um, one, I know that the, the, the casts take a long time to download, and that um, has to do with the site. It has to do with Podbean because um, it's not it's not a me thing, um, which sucks. I wish that I could change that um, uh, unless I change podcast domains, which I'm not about to do at this time, but uh, 
So I do apologize for that. Um, the long intro or other material before getting into advertised topic, um, I've gotten some negative feedback about that as well, um, that it can be meandering, hence the 20 minutes I haven't even talked about my review yet in this episode. But um, yeah, there's a shagginess to this podcast that I just I can't uh, I can't help at this point. Um, the spaces, filler words, background noise, uh, about post-production. So that kind of goes along with, with timestamps, um, especially nowadays. I'm recording this at 10, 10 on a Friday night. Um, my daughter went to bed at nine, um, and I've been with her since seven this morning. Um, and I doubt I'm going to be able to get through one sitting of recording this podcast, uh, I think that I'll have, probably have to pick it up tomorrow as well and do a recording session then. So my point is time is very limited um, and I just do not have the time to do any uh, post-production work because it is, I would rather get the content out than the production value. There was once upon a time where I really cared about production value Um and I don't want to say that I don't, I don't care about it, but um, to me, it's the content, um, not as much the, the production value. And because time is a major factor and I just don't have a lot of it, um, I, I can't put a lot of time in, in really scrubbing uh, the, the hours worth of, of, uh, of recording that I have. Um, and yes, the, the loud music over long plot reads, that is something that I have taken to heart and um, I have not done that in, in quite some time. Um, so I hope that I have addressed these uh, concerns and just thank you for, for writing in for the, the, the positive feedback and the critical feedback. Um, both are, are very, very necessary and I take both to heart. So thank you. Um, and then we have uh, Chris. 20100 who writes excellent podcast when it loads first off let me say that i love your podcast the amount of preparation and work that goes into each episode is amazing i truly enjoy your insights into the work of an author who was instrumental in making me a lifelong reader the only issue that i have is several of your episodes take forever to load or fail to load giving an episode unavailable error so again that goes back to like bd1598 said this goes back to the, the, the hosting site that I have. It's, it's, that, that is not on me, um, and I, I wish that this was not happening. Uh, he continues, I don't download, only stream, and I see this happening on iPhone and iPad cell services and Wi-Fi on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts, so I'm thinking it might be on your end. If you need an example, the last one I know of your podcast is on the Stan TV miniseries part one. I hope you can resolve this, but I'll continue to be your constant listener. Thank you um, for bringing this to my attention. Um, it is a Podbean issue, and I will let Podbean know um, that I am receiving feedback from my listeners that there are errors and glitches in downloading. Um, it is important for me to be able to communicate that to them. And then we have Ken Rochelle, who writes, loves this podcast, five stars. The, not, the narrator is so passionate and knowledgeable about Stephen King. Highly recommended. Thank you. Thank you, Ken Rochelle. And then we have ZD38253, who writes, unbelievably essential. 
Um, five stars. I've been reading King for 20 years since Cujo in fourth grade. Constant readers, analyses, and enthusiasms continue to make these episodes eminently go back toable, making me realize and celebrate new things about these books one after another. Super bingeable, fair, funny, on point, DIY, and engaged with us listeners, constant listeners, and our sometimes differing ideas. Constant Reader also did me the incredible honor of reading my Decider.com Castle Rock recaps for his summary portion of the episodes, and I say thank you, Cy. No, Zach Dion, I say may you have twice the number. Um, uh, th- this was Zach Dion. I would recommend reading his his recaps and work on Decider.com. Um, his, his recaps were very, very helpful um, during my Castle Rock reviews, and he has been um, a... A very positive um, supporter of this podcast, and I really greatly appreciate um, your support and uh, and loyalty. Um, I, I I really do. Thank you so much, Zach, and thank you everyone that has taken the time to 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 write in the Stephen King cast. Okay, guys. So there's the iTunes reviews. If you have a few minutes on your hands, please feel free to write into uh, Stephen King. I'm sorry, uh, write into um, the iTunes reviews because um, it really helps me out. Okay, um, now it is time for us to switch gears and talk about uh, Lock and Key Volume Five. I cannot believe that we're on Volume Five already. Uh, Clockworks. So if you are tuning in for the first time and you're somehow 25 minutes into this episode um, and you have never listened to uh, Stephen King cast episode before, well, uh, thank you for uh, this strange uh, episode so far. I, I don't... Um, I just want to let you know that, that they're not typically this uh, somber, um, but uh, but life circumstances, uh, you know, life has a way of um, giving you a lot of emotional uh, flavors and variety. Not everything is always uh, hunky dory. But uh, if this is your first time coming into the Stephen King cast, um, we have been working our way through Lock and Key, um, and we are now on the fifth volume, which is Clockworks. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, the the um, review. Which is a little different than what I've been doing before. I don't have the, the, the Wikipedia summaries of each issue, so I'm just going to jump straight into the review. It means that it's going to be a shorter episode because of this, and it's going to be all review, um, no Wikipedia summary, to, so I can build a, a foundation upon which I can build my analysis. So um, it really is all, it's all the more important for you to, to have read uh, these issues um, before listening to this podcast. So with issue one of Clockworks... Um, with the present day story having come to a head in the previous volume, Hill wisely decides to provide us the backstory on the history of the keys so that we have a full picture as we head into the conclusion to this story. And Hill gives us an incredible introduction to young Benjamin Locke, whose diary excerpts we've been reading um, all along that have been giving us information about the keys. Through this supplemental text, we've been given a glimpse of his story, but here Hill is done teasing and dives straight into the deep end of the pool. We meet our siblings, the exact moment their parents are hanged by British soldiers who take their home and banish them to the well house. The siblings journey to the drowning cave to inform their older brother who is hiding out among the rebels. It turns out that their father had drained the caves to create a place for the colonists to hide out. 
During their time below ground, they discovered a door which led to fateful consequences. And Hill just goes for it here. He knows that it's the only time he's going to be able to present the secret and the origin of Dodge, the creature that seemed to span centuries, and his execution lives up to the potential. He leans heavily into the Lovecraftian elements of the concept and the manner in which he delivers us the information with one of the um, soldiers recounting the dreaded discovery. There's a very quick but wonderfully placed King reference as the soldiers uh, mention the Micmac Indians who had once lived in these caves. The soldiers tell the Lock children of the etching on the wall that became a door and the monstrosities that came through it. From the build-up to the opening of the door, to the man who listened to the whispering from the other side, to the monsters that fell dead upon crossing the threshold, it's all masterfully done. There's further reference to both Lovecraft and King, as the possessed colonists refer to the blood as the rains, the the, the plains of, sorry, refer to the um, plains of Leng, a location mentioned in Lovecraft's works and referenced in King's works as well. It was from Leng where Leland Gaunt retrieved the poisoned bullets he distributed to the Castle Rock residents, and it's from Leng that the creatures um, that we have that we are being introduced in this. Uh, particular issue and have met before through Dodge are from. And with his family dead, Benjamin finds purpose in the cave, knowing the only solution is to lock the door. Upon hearing the whispering from the dead lumps of alien metal, Benjamin knows that he can manipulate the metal for his own uses. And with the metal, he's able to forge a lock and key to hold the black door. With that, Hill pulls back to reveal that everything we had just witnessed was also witnessed by the ghosts of Tyler and Kinsey as well. Issue 2. The issue begins horrifically, with Bodhi's friend quickly discovering that he isn't Bodhi at all, and Dodge does what he does best, covering up his tracks. He pushes the boy in front of an oncoming bus. Dodge, posing as Bodhi, tries to get information out of Tyler regarding the location of the Omega Key, while Kinsey beautifully soars above the waves. It's a beat that's unneeded, but it's a lovely illustration by Rodriguez. And Dodge just continues to be all-around awful, for instance, trying to convince the newly sober Nina to start drinking again. During his investigation to find the Omega Key, he smashes the bottle containing Kinsey's thoughts, who quickly take refuge in Tyler's thoughts and begin running rampant within him. They manage to disrupt Tyler's strength, and as a result, he becomes vulnerable to their dark thoughts, which leads to a showdown between um, Tyler and Kinsey, who retrieved her thoughts and places them where they should be, but not before Bodhi takes the Omega Key from Tyler's head. Issue 3. In the previous issue's fight, the grandfather clock had been knocked over, which revealed the key that Tyler and Kinsey wind up using to travel back to 1775 as seen as the first issue of this volume. And when given the chance to visit any point of time before the year 2000, they choose to visit their father in the famed Tempest production, wherein all the actors used keys and keyhouse magic to put on a supernatural performance. And at long last, we see the 1988 cast not as ruined husks by their pasts, but teenagers at that exact point in their lives where the future is endless. And Hill establishes right away that the good old days weren't always good, 
as this mythologized time is first presented with Kim, the angel, unfairly laying into Mark Cho over the fact that his uncle, a movie agent, didn't come to the production. In a few short panels, Hill delivers the dynamics within the group. Kim, the diva. Rendell, the leader. Aaron, the voice of reason. Mark, the insecure one. Cassie, Kim's best friend. And Dodge, the charming rogue. When... Um, when comforting Kim, who is just truly being awful to everyone, Rendo makes the decision to unlock the black door and capture a demon from which they'll be able to make a new key to keep the magic in their lives even after they graduate. And it's a gut punch of an ending. The man who looks so large as a hero throughout the series has been the one responsible for all of the tragedy that has occurred within both generations of the keepers of the keys. Also, it's pretty heartbreaking to see Ellie and Dodge in the days when they were legitimately in love. Issue 4. Rendell explains himself to the group and describes his plan to create a glamour key. He frames it in a sweet way, stating that he'd like others to be able to love him, to love them as much as he loved them. And yet, what he's proposing is pretty insidious, creating a key that will force others to change. In this case, change their feelings. Every key until that point had affected change within the user, but this one would cause others to change, and as a result, it should come as no surprise that this mission is doomed and punished for their actions. On the way to the cave, Duncan, functioning as the Bodhi of the group, tries to tag along as the gang descends into the drowning cave. One interesting thing to note, um, on point, the shadows on the wall show Dodge's wolf, and Ellie's shadow is the representation of what will be Rufus's robot. It's kind of hard to read these scenes because Hill honestly places it in the 1980s and he doesn't present it in the kindest light. Rendell is kind of a dick to his brother and Mark Cho is way too free with using, using the F word and the R word, which again, were more accepted in the 80s than today, but it's important to note that Hill chose to be authentic, knowing the modern sensibilities would cast these characters in an unflattering light. We get a scene teased in an earlier issue with Dodge and a young Duncan. Were we aware that the conversation happened pre-possession? We most likely didn't assume that it was innocent and demonstrative of Dodge being a really kind person. It seems like this that makes what will soon happen that much worse. Duncan breaks his promise and arrives to the drowning cave the exact moment that Rendell begins to open it. In the confusion, Dodge's arm goes through the portal and is immediately grabbed by one of the devils. Chapter 5 it picks up immediately where we left off with the fallout from Duncan's arrival and Dodge, now possessed, realizing he's outnumbered, he pretends he's normal. That night, he sneaks into Rendell's room to threaten him to get the Omega key, but the others are there just in case. Knowing that his soul is already corrupted, the only thing they can do is take out every memory he has. Rendell takes the jars to the well house for the echo of his mother to watch over them. In the aftermath... It's pure, undiluted dodge. Without a plan or purpose to subdue his dark desires, he's pure hate and gluttony. Honestly, for those of you who have watched Twin Peaks The Return, his actions in the cafeteria feel very Richard to me. In the wellhouse, we see an echo of a kinder spirit, Rendell's mother. Hill doesn't dwell on this. And aside from a previous mention from Rendell, how he'd been able to bring his mother back as an echo, no history is provided, and that's how it should be. And when Dodge arrives, having followed Ellie, Mrs. Locke is about to take out Dodge, but is pushed out of the wellhouse by Ellie and turns to dust. And this is where Dodge manages to gain full control of Ellie. 
Issue 6. It's the end for the Keeper of the Keys. Ellie is abused. Duncan is immediately captured and is about to be brought down to the doorway. Cho realizes that something is wrong and sends the shadows to get Dodge, who arrives in the shape of the woman we'll meet him as. And we finally discover the reason behind the gender switch. One, he was in proximity of Duncan at the time. Duncan, who had liked to play with the gender key, and who was currently a girl when Dodge came upon her. And two, he knew that being a girl would allow him to manipulate Mark Cho, the virgin. He teases seduction before stabbing him in the stomach. Cho gives up the info about who has the keys. Aaron, Dodge, in possession of the Shadow Crown, is a full-fledged monster. And the lingering questions that have been dangling throughout the series begin to get their answers. Dodge instructs a shadow to bring a jar to Ellie's, which will become a plot point later on down the road. In the cave, the showdown begins. Kim is quickly dispatched, her face smashed against the cave wall. Ellie and Rendell are overpowered by the shadows, and it's here where Dodge wipes out Aaron's mind looking for information about the Omega Key. Ellie, learning of a secret stairwell from the dying Mark, arrives and manages to get the crown from Dodge, who is then trapped under a pile of rubble as we eventually see her as a corpse when Kinsey is trapped in the drowning cave. The fallout is subdued and sad. Ellie and Rendell are already forgetting, and the intense love that had been shared among the group is nowhere to be found between these two. The final reveal is that Rendell had brought a bit of the Whispering Iron with him, and because it's a hook, he wants to turn it into a fishing lure, which will wind up becoming the fishing lure that Tyler has worn since we first met him. And that is such an incredible beat um, that the thing that has been so identifiable to this character um, has and has been a touchstone of the father and son relationship is a major plot point. And the, um, the, the, the secret that's been hidden in, in plain sight all along. I love stuff like that. So guys, that's all I have for um, for Volume 5, Clockworks. We are coming towards the end, um, which is uh, crazy to me. Um, we don't have that much longer after this. Um, uh, Omega and Alpha. And then there are some... Uh, one shots that Hill and uh, Rodriguez and uh, have kind of dabbled in that I, I might um, touch upon. And recently, Hill and Rodriguez have stated that they're going back to the Well House. Uh, they've, they're going to pick up where the story left off a few years later um, in the in the uh, next year or so um, in, in terms of synergy because we have the, the, the Netflix show coming out. So there's a lot of, there's still, there, even though we're sort of wrapping up the, the main narrative, it looks like the, the, the universe of Lock and Key is going to continue. So, so guys, uh, it's about, been about 40 minutes of talking. Most of it was about my dog. So thank you for indulging me. And like I said, snortrescue.org um, is a wonderful website and a wonderful organization that if you want to foster, if you want to adopt, or if you just want to donate, these are all options for you. So just at the very least, um, take a look at the website and uh, see if it tickles your fancy. So thank you everyone for the support. Um, thank you for listening. 
thank you for um, everyone that's written in over the last five years um, telling me that you have enjoyed hearing the sounds of my furry co-hosts in the background. As I recorded this, you might have heard um, my other furry co-hosts snoring peacefully on the couch behind me. Um, and hopefully you'll, you'll take some comfort from that. I know that I, I certainly have been. Um, I've definitely been showering her with as much love as I possibly can over the last week because she's been, she's been definitely affected as well. Okay, guys, so next week I will review uh, Omega and Alpha. And um, in the meantime, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast.